Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Oh, it feels good to sing to the great I am, doesn't it? Amen. I hope you guys go ahead and practice because that's what you're going to be doing for all eternity. Amen. Isn't it good? We just, we just joined in the song that angels are singing even now in heaven. Can you imagine that? Right down here on earth, we got to lift our voices and sing. And I don't know about you, but I can't help but sing loud. Can you? Some of y'all can help it. I was looking at you. You just barely were mouthing it. And I wish this. I wish one day you just turn loose and sing to him like he deserves. Reckless abandon. Not worried about what anybody else thinks. The tone that you sing with. You just open your mouth and let your heart cry out to God in song. If you have your Bibles, we're going to return to Luke chapter 15. It's oftentimes referred to as the lost chapter. Not that the chapter itself is lost, mind you. Um, But there are some things in the chapter that were lost. Can you remember what they were? Three things. Number one, the first one was the sheep. The sheep was lost and the shepherd goes, leaves the 99, finds the one. Okay. The second thing that was lost, the coin. The lady lights a light in her house. She's got something valuable that's missing. And so she sweeps the house and she finds it. In both of those accounts, when the sheep and when the coin is found, neighbors and others are invited into a celebration that something was lost and was found. But in the third parable, we find some differences in that which was lost being found. That being, we hear first of the misery of sin. We hear about the miserable condition of the far-off country and, ultimately, a pig pen. Let me ask you a question. If you were here this morning, did you relate it all to the pig pen of a far-off country? Can anybody in the house testify by raising of your hand if you've ever visited, at least visited, a far-off country and found yourself in a pig pen of your own device? Now, hold your hand up long enough for us to look around. I want to just kind of see who my people are. All right. I guess it's all of us. And so we can relate very well to that. But I believe this. I believe the second part, the second son, is really going to deal with our hearts more. uh, Maybe after we come back home from the pig pen. And after we get what I call sometimes churched up. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, We get some time down the road. We get to feeling pretty good about ourselves. Because we, you know, hadn't cussed in a while. (laughs) Hadn't thrown a drunk in a while. Hadn't got violent in a while. And so we begin to feel somewhat uh, comfortable about our progress. And it'll cause us some very dangerous positions of what I'm going to call self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Do you know anybody that is self-righteous? Do you know anybody who sometimes uh, believes that they are better than someone else because of their decisions and what they have going on? And so tonight we're going to deal with that older brother. Now remember the context of chapter 15 of Luke's gospel. Remember Jesus was talking to, well, actually, remember, he was doing something that made the Pharisees and the scribes mad. Do you remember what it was? He was doing something with sinners. He was eating with them, and the word that was used to describe that beforehand was that he received sinners. Now, that word in the Greek is used six times in Luke's gospel. Every other place it's used, it means to eagerly await something. Uh, I love the fact that when the scripture speaks of the one who was 
uh, in the temple when the young child Jesus, baby Jesus, was brought in to the temple. It says that uh, she was eagerly awaiting the consolation of Israel. And so we think about what it means to eagerly await and to receive. And the fact of the matter is the Pharisees and the scribes were angry with Jesus because he met people where they were. Whatever they had going on, whatever sin they were involved with. Now, that's not to say that anybody on earth except for Jesus is not a sinner. That's not the point. The point of the term sinners is the fact of the matter that their sin was very observable. Y'all tracking with me? The sins that they committed were known by people. You know, some sins are easier to know than others. Do you know that about sin? Some are easier to hide. Some are easier because they're on the inside. Now, when I say easier to hide, I'm talking about the eyes of man, but never the eyes of God. And so, uh, Jesus, in dealing with them, and then the self-righteous Pharisees and scribes are angry. Jesus tells three parables, and all three of them are asking a question or... They're answering the problem that's going on in the minds of the Pharisees. They're angry. They can't figure out why Jesus is uh, dealing with sinners in such a way. Matter of fact, they felt as if the way Jesus was handling sinners, spending time with them, was uh, uh, having a low regard for holiness. They felt as if Jesus took sin as a common thing. Now, isn't that, isn't that almost laughable considering the fact that Jesus was going to pay such a high price for sin itself? But in their estimation, Jesus was taking sin lightly because he's hanging out with them. He's not constantly beating them over the head with what they were doing wrong. Instead, he's speaking truth to them and pointing them in a different direction. And so as he tells these parables, each one about what's really going on here, when he's meeting with sinners, we see it is the Father who is seeking out through the Son people who are lost and desperate for salvation. And when they come home to Jesus, all of heaven rejoices. Pharisees and religious folk are mad. Heaven and Jesus and God and the angels are celebrating and rejoicing. I want to ask you a question. Whose party do you want to be a part of? The party of anger and misery, of merit, trying to approach God based on your goodness? Or the party of celebration that by grace we can be saved through faith and that not of ourselves, least any man should boast? I pray tell tonight, you and I would want to be in the party of grace, wouldn't we? And to celebrate grace and God's offer. So let's hurry and get to the business of looking at the older brother. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet tonight. And let's look at the last part of Luke chapter 15 together. I want you to pick up with me, if you will, in verse number 25 where we left off. And we'll read all the way down. Are you ready for this? To verse number 32. Now I just want to pause and say thank you for making the effort to be here tonight. I wish I could tell you how many pastors approach me on a weekly basis saying... Man, we just, uh, we just don't have Wednesday nights anymore. And what happens is people will sometimes look at them and say, Oh, that church doesn't have, uh, that, that must be, a pastor ought to be having church. And what happens is that in a lot of places, people don't put forth the effort. And so there's one or two or zero that show up. And so I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart that you come back and you come back hungry. And you're not just here to check the box, but you have your notepad out. And more importantly, the notepad of your heart. And I, I can't tell you how much it means to me that you guys come in here on Sunday night and Wednesday night like you do on Sunday morning. So thank you, okay? Let's get down to work now, all right? Let's ask the Holy Ghost to do what he does. Verse number 25. If you weren't with us this morning, what's happened is the parable of the loving father, not the prodigal son. There are two sons. It'd be ridiculous for us to pick one and name the parable after one of the two sons. That's ridiculous. And so instead, the parable ought to be named the parable of the loving father because there's one father, two sons. The hero of the story is not either son, but in fact, it is the father. A parable is a story here on earth that has heavenly meaning. Jesus has already described that. The Father being God, 
and the prodigal son being the wasteful, the sinners. In, in the audience here, uh, the prodigal son represents those sinners that Jesus was eating with. Okay? But now we're going to look at the other person, in the, uh, the people in the audience, the Pharisees, as represented by the older brother. Okay? Y'all tracking with me tonight? Feel like you got a little footing? After, anybody get a nap? Some of y'all look like you got a nap. Some of your hair is messed up. And, uh, and so I'm glad that you got that nap. You need to do that. Okay, here we go. Picking up in verse number 25. Now his older son was in the field. Now what's going on? They're having a party. And the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called out one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father was, has killed the fatted calf. But he was, y'all help me? He must have been Baptist. He's angry. All that dancing and partying and celebration, having fun. I'm only joking. Relax. Okay? You guys know I'm not in the denomination. I preach the book. All right? So here we go. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Now, that word is other places translated entreated. Okay, and we'll get back to that term in a minute. He came out, the father did, and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet, you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said, the father said back to the older son, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. All the young goats, all the everything, it's, it's, it's been yours. And he said, Son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. Verse 32, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Well, I love that sound, found. Let's pray. Let's pause for a moment of prayer together. Will you pray with me for just a minute? Take a minute now and ask the Lord to clear your mind of any clutter, of any preconceived notion of the older brother, that God would just clear your mind and that you would be taught by the Holy Ghost tonight and the Scripture. Now, Father, I thank you for the opportunity tonight to stand on your behalf and to proclaim this great truth to us. And, Father, I thank you that if no one else in the room needs this word tonight, I need it. And I pray that you'd help me to preach it. Preach it in such a way that every single person would be able to understand and to apply it. Now, Lord, as you help me to preach it, I pray also you would tune my ears to your still and small voice. As a father speaks to his children, help us tonight to listen and to act accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Let's go back now, if we can, and... Rewind back to the beginning. The title of our message tonight is simply Coming Home to the Perfect Father, Part 2. <laughs> part 2. That's very creative, wasn't it? Part number 2. All right, verse number 25. Let's go back. And they're about, I don't know, uh, 2, 3, 4, I don't know, something like that. We'll just figure it out as we go along, okay? Roman number 1, you know, it's write this down. The celebration of grace. Now, where we peer into the parable and where Jesus is telling the story tonight, we pick up where the celebration is already happening. But we know from this morning why the celebration is happening. There has been a son who basically disregarded the presence of the father, that basically disregarded the provision of the father. 
He said he'd rather just be his father be dead. He wanted his what came to him. He took his inheritance and he blew it like his father didn't work hard, like his father didn't have to put energy and effort in providing. And so he disregarded his presence. He didn't want to be with him. He just wanted what he had to give him. And then when he gave him what he had to give him, he disregarded what he gave him because he wasted it. He wasted it. Now, this morning we talked about ways that we waste the provision of God. Do you all remember that? And we talked about four provisions of God, the provision of salvation found in Jesus Christ alone. And we waste that by denying him and never surrendering to him. We talked about the provision of the Holy Spirit. Do you all remember that? And we said that we waste the Holy Spirit sometimes by not following his leadership. Then we talked about the word of God. And we said that we are prodigal in our living when we neglect to read it. When we waste it and don't let it feed and nourish us and guide our thoughts into our everyday life. As we move on, we talked about then not only the Word and the, the Spirit, rather, and then the Word, but then the fourth and final, which I said to you, which I believe is the most neglected resource of God, the most wasteful we are with the resource of God, and that is, does anybody remember the fourth one? The church. And we're very wasteful with the church. We just sort of hit and miss. We just sort of come when it's convenient. And we don't realize that God has provided the great resource of the church to strengthen us, to edify us, to build us up. Give us platform to encourage us, to challenge us, to hold us accountable. And for that to be that, for us to be that for each other. So we need you. I need you. And you need me. And so we don't want to be prodigal in our lifestyles. Well, the prodigal has come home. Do you remember? In a place of repentance. Do y'all remember the picture of repentance? Isn't that a perfect picture of repentance that happens in that sun and that pig pen? And isn't it sad that sometimes we have to go all the way into the slop before we ever come to, come to ourselves and come to a realization of how good God is? And humble ourselves enough to come to him and to confess. Well, he does that. And so there's a celebration going on. Let's pick up in verse number 25. This is 25 to 27. The celebration of grace. And so he says, now his older son was in the field. He's, he's been working. And he, as he come and drew near to the house, he hears music, dancing. Now, you have an, uh, an option here when you're coming in from the field and you hear music and dancing. Option one, you can be excited and hurry up and get you a shower and join the party. Or you can look inwardly and self-centeredly and self-righteously and wonder why you don't know about it and why you didn't get a vote on what kind of music was going on and why you didn't get to pick the food out and the color of the carpeting. What you? Oh, there I go with that purple shag again. And offended because you didn't get the role and the place that you thought that you somehow deserved. And of the two options, the older son picks option two. Let's read a little further, all right? So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Can you see him? Hey, 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 come, come here just a second. The servant comes a little closer, and he's getting there. And don't you, can't you just see, like on the older brother, a little bit of a scowl? A little bit of a, he's already offended. Now, you hear music dancing, you ought to want to dance. You ought to want to go join the party, but he's already offended. And so he calls the servant, hey, um, can you tell me what in the world's going on? And he asked, what's going on? Let's find out what happens. And so in verse number 27, he said to him, well, your brother has come. And because he has received him, your father, the dad, has received him uh, safe and sound. Because your father has received his son, who he thought to be dead, who never, he thought he might never see again. He's come home. And he's not dead. And he's alive. And he's well. And so your father has, is in celebration, has killed the fatted calf. And they're dancing and singing, rejoicing that your brother is home and he's alive. And so there's this wonderful celebration of grace. Now let me just say this to you. Ready? Every betrayer, every adulterer, 
Every murderer, every drug addict, every drunkard, every prostitute, rescued by his amazing grace, is worthy of a grateful celebration when Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sin. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to shout amen. A celebration ought to ensue. And a celebration ought to be the mark of your life. Not complaining, not doldrum, not down in the pits. A celebration. A celebration of what, you might ask? A celebration of rescue. A celebration of salvation that cannot be undone. A celebration of salvation that comes by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. It ought to be the mark of your life that you and I wake up and we want to dance and sing no matter what temporary circumstance comes our way because we've been saved. So there's a celebration of grace. I want to ask you a question. Is your life a celebration of grace? Would the people around you say it's like being at a party hanging out with you? That you always have something positive to say even in your darkest hour. That you choose not to talk about people, but instead to look at the potential of people. That you, instead of ridiculing folk for what they've done wrong, you're always looking for a way to help people do right. A celebration of grace. So, let's move on to Roman number two. Look how quickly we move through that first point, huh? You see that? The Pharisee, number two, write this down. The Pharisee's misunderstanding of the Father. Now, that ought to have an apostrophe S at the end. But I was uh, in finishing up and, and uh, cleaning up my notes a little bit. I drove to Meridian today and back for funeral visitation. So uh, I apologize for that apostrophe S not being there. You correct that in your notes, okay? And uh, hopefully I'll remember to do it in mine later on this week, all right? So the Pharisees, misunderstanding of who? The Father. Now listen, the prodigal son was in a place of misery at one point in the pig pen. Do you remember that? It was a miserable place. He was in want, remember? Uh, He couldn't meet his need. Nobody would help him. Uh, First person he finds in the far country that he thinks maybe can help him, instead of sitting down for a meal of cornbread and pinto beans, he sends him in to feed pigs. That which a Jewish young man would absolutely loathe and despise. And so he's found himself there. But now we have the older brother... And he is also in a place of misery. But his pig pen is not the pig pen of a far off country and an egregious outward sin. Instead, his pig pen is the misery of approaching the father based on merit. What is merit? Doing right. It's religiosity. It is the feeling I've earned my way in because everything you've ever told me to do, I've done it just like you told me. And so I deserve what you've given to somebody who didn't deserve it. And it puts us in a place sometimes where we quantify or we begin to evaluate in our heart whether someone is worthy of the blessing and favor of God on their life or they're not. What an ugly place to be when we find ourselves as the Pharisee. So let's dive in. Here we go. Back in verse number. Are you tracking with me? Anybody? Verse number 29. So in 29, he says, but he was angry. The the son in verse 28, the older son was angry and he wouldn't go in. You ever get mad and not eat? Anybody? Get mad and not eat? You know what I'm talking about. You got a Thanksgiving get together and all the family's there. And cousin Eddie brings up something from the past. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden somebody gets ticked off. And they run up to their bedroom, right? And they're mad. They're not going to come join the meal. And they're about to ruin the whole day, Right? And so here's what happens. There's a misunderstanding. Listen to how the son talks to the father. Let me ask you a question as I read. Does it sound more like a father-son kind of relationship or a slave-master? Now, don't answer. Let's read. Picking up now verse 29. So the father, and by the way, isn't it beautiful to see 
in verse number 28, I want to just, if I could give you a list of four things I want to point out here under the Pharisees' misunderstanding of the Father. We see a very rare glimpse of the Father's heart for the Pharisee. Now let me say why I say rare. Most of the time when you see Jesus dealing with the Pharisee, uh, how do you see him generally dealing with them? Gently? Very, very harsh. Uh, can you think of some of the terms that he referred to the Pharisees as? Brood of vipers. Uh, whitewashed tombs. Remember? Uh, there's not very many instances in the Word of God where you hear Jesus dealing with the Pharisees favorably. Isn't it interesting that Jesus has more negative to say toward the Pharisee than he does to the prostitutes and the, and the tax collectors? And so here we have this this Pharisee, and he's, they're listening in the audience, and Jesus is first asked the question, you know, answered the question that, that what's going on here when I'm receiving sinners is like a prodigal come home. There's a celebration in heaven. And now he's going to deal with the, with the Pharisees in the audience, and he's going to show them what their heart is like in the midst of him receiving sinners. This is what they look like. They look like an angry kid out on the front porch, mad and discontented because people are receiving relationship with the Father for free. Purchased by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, he's out there. I want you to write this down as the number one under the Pharisees' misunderstanding of the Father. I need you to understand, number one, and this is a misunderstanding that some of us have as well. Number one, write this down. The Father comes for the Pharisees too. Isn't that beautiful? The picture of the prodigal, remember, it said that when the son turned away from the pig pen, remember we said true repentance means you have to turn away and leave some things behind. You can't repent and stand in the hog pen and say, I'm sorry, and doctor it up and stay there. You have to, you have to turn your back on it, okay? You can't, you can't continue to live in sin and say you've repented of it. Is anybody with me? You have to turn away from that hog pen and walk away and he'll meet you right there. So we find that picture in the prodigal son. But now, but now we see the Pharisee out on the porch and the Pharisee. Now remember the older brothers represented by the Pharisee. They're angry because Jesus is celebrating sinners coming to repentance. And instead of saying, well, just sit out there and sulk. You ever said that to your kids? I have. Oh, you're going to pout? Just sit out there and pout. We'll eat and you don't eat and everything will be fine. But that's not the heart of the Father. You see what we find here, very rare, very That wasn't on purpose, so, all right? So the, the Pharisee, the older son, is sitting on the front porch, and the father doesn't pull the shades, look out, say, well, that good-for-nothing rascal. I hope, he's, I hope he goes to bed hungry tonight. He didn't do that. Not only did he run down the path to the prodigal, he also leaves the party and goes out to the Pharisee. Isn't that beautiful? Maybe you've read through that and missed the point that Jesus came for sinners, whether they're outward sins or inward sins, whether it's self-righteousness is the problem or an outward uh, attraction to whatever. Uh, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Aren't you thankful for that? So he comes out, the Father, representative of Jesus. Now, Jesus is representative of the Father because Jesus said, remember, you said, no way, you keep saying Father, but you keep saying Jesus, and I'm a little confused. Let me clarify. Jesus made this statement in the Gospels. He said, I and the Father are one. So what's going on here is Jesus is receiving sinners on the earth is what he's saying to the Pharisees is that is also the Father receiving sinners when they come by repentance. 
Now this Pharisee, he's angry on the front porch and the father goes out to him. And I'm just so thankful. I'm just so thankful. Uh, Sometimes you and I uh, get so churched up. Listen, that we get a little angry. We get a little beside ourselves when the favor of God starts falling and restoration starts happening and the blessings of God starts flowing on someone who's lived their lives an outright rejection of God and they come to faith and all of a sudden God really starts just showing out in their lives. Then I'll watch it sometimes. Those folks been saved a long time. We get what I call church stuff. We're polished, man. We're like a polished rock. We forget we're still a rock, but we're a polished rock. And somehow we get envious of what God is doing in the life of someone who just got saved the day before, two weeks ago, two months ago. We start having these thoughts drift through our head. I've been saved for this long. I've been going to church for this long. I've been giving for this long. I've been praying for this long. I've been having quiet time in the morning with Jesus for this long. And we begin to have the pharisaical keeping up a tally of what we've done to earn as we follow the commands of God like a taskmaster. And so the father comes to the Pharisee too. But also number two, the older son spoke of the father only as a master or a lawgiver. He did not speak in terms of son and father. Let me show you. I'm going to give you a second to write that because I know that's kind of wordy. But just write some of it. It doesn't have to say exactly that. The older son spoke of the father only as master or lawgiver. That's all you need to write there. Okay. He spoke of him only as a master. Let me show you. Okay, will you look with me in verse number 29? Anybody? Yes, all right, 29. So he answered and said, Father came out. And notice what it says. Oh, this is interesting. The word uh, at the end of verse 28 that says, Therefore his father came out and cussed him out. Huh? You ever say that? No, it doesn't. It says pleaded, doesn't it? And in other translations it might say entreated is what it might also say. And I want you to understand here, it's interesting, a play on words that Jesus would say that the father didn't come out onto the porch and command. Uh Uh-oh. There's a play on words here. You need to pay attention. The father did not snatch the door open and command the older son to get his rear end in there and act his age and get in there and do right his disgrace to the family. Get your tail in there, you idiot, and act happy. No command such leaves the mouth of the master, of the father. But instead, a gentle, merciful entreating, a pleading, son, come on, let's, let's just enjoy our time together. Come on, son, your, your brother, he's, you know, I thought he was dead. I mean, didn't you miss him? You know, your brother, your, your blood, didn't you miss the fact that he was out there suffering? And didn't it hurt you to know that there were nights when he was starving and his belly was hurting and, and he was in a difficult, and, and son, why don't you come on in and, and let's enjoy the celebration and your brother and each other together. See the invitation? Isn't it wonderful that God would invite me and you? That he would entreat me and you? That he would never command us to come into the celebration? You see, there's still what's at play here is something called free will. And what you'll find is an invitation to the celebration or one might say an invitation to salvation is never a command of God because to command you to be saved or to prearrange for you to be saved would be to remove from you that free will which makes you made in the image of God. But instead he entreated him. Why don't you come on in? Enjoy the relationship with the Father. Now you don't have to. 
You can stay on the porch in the misery of merit. Now, what is merit? Earning. You can stay out here and be miserable because you think you've earned something and he doesn't deserve it. And you can be angry about that. You, can, you have free will to stay in that lost condition. Or you can humble yourself just like the prodigal and come on into the celebration with your daddy. And let's enjoy fellowship and relationship together. Do you see the picture? Oh, I wish that you and I would see the picture tonight. The father come for the Pharisee too. The older son spoke of the father only as a master. Listen to what he says. So the father entreats him. But listen to his response in verse 29. So he answered and said to him, uh, to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, serving you like a slave does his master. I never transgressed your commandment, your commands, All you've ever been to me was a taskmaster. All you've ever been is somebody who gave me a command and I went and did it. I don't care about you. You see, it's the same language that the younger son said when he said, just give me the stuff, I don't care about you. He's now saying, I've never had relationship with you. I see you as a list of commands, do's and don'ts. Oh, are you seeing the picture of a Pharisee? Are you seeing the picture of legalism and a works-based salvation? Boy, some of y'all are like, man, I've never seen the light of this before. And so, if you will, he's pointing out to this group of Pharisees that the older brother is in fact them. In verse 29, so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. I want you to think about that. By doing right, you see, he felt he earned the father's provision. And the younger brother was undeserving. If you're not careful, if I'm not careful, our change the transformation that only the spirit and the word bring we'll begin to take credit for it and we'll begin to feel better then in small little incremental ways and when we see people receive grace upon grace we'll be a little bit offended by it matter of fact there'll be a little portion of us that really hopes they get what they've got coming it's the pharisee in me and the pharisee in you let me move on just a little bit further so he says in verse 29 uh, that there's this Uh, The older son, seeing the father's only taskmaster. The third thing I want you to see, under this misunderstanding, the Pharisee had misunderstood the father. Listen, the father is not a slave master with a list of commandments for you to follow. And if you follow, you can deserve his love and grace. You can't. You can't deserve. You can't make your way to heaven by following the commands of God. He's not a taskmaster. He's not a command giver. He is, in fact, the command giver who met the commands in his own demand by the giving of his own son, Jesus. And that's the only way. The law could be satisfied and fulfilled. Jesus said, I didn't come to take away the law. I came to fulfill it. Every dot and every tittle. He fulfilled it perfectly because you and I could not. And the moment we feel like we can or we have, we are in a terrible place of self-righteousness. Let me move on if I can, all right? So the older son, number three, verse number 30, we're going to find the older son even blames the father. Let me show you, okay? Verse number 30. But as soon as this, and I want you to read with me, okay? He says, I never transgressed your command, verse 29, at any time, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, notice he didn't call him his brother anymore. Do you hint, do you notice the hint of, do you notice the hint of blame so far back as in the Garden of Eden? When Adam said back to God, it was the woman that, this daughter of yours, Whoa. It's this, see, self-righteousness will cause you to blame other people 
for your, my bad attitude, your bad attitude, for our misgivings, for our, our wrong ideas, for our wrong feelings. We'll blame other fee- people because, oh, we just missed the point. Because we don't see the Father as one who loves and accepts us and grows us and nurtures us. Instead, we see him as a law giver. And if we don't follow the laws, or if we do follow the laws, then, boy, we've done really good. So what happens in this is the older son even blames the father, this son of yours. Or, as you remember, Adam saying to God, this woman that you gave me. And I'll tell you something. One of the gross, most um, hideous things a person can do in this life is to blame other people for our own misgivings. All right, moving on to number four. And there are four in this list, so we'll complete the list here. Number four, the father still called the older brother child. Let me show you. It's in verse 31. Soon as the son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said, the father said back to him, son. Now, literally, that word for son there is not the common Koine Greek term for son. It's actually the Greek term for child. Now, son just means male child, you understand. Uh, But it's more the gentle, endearing term as if you would look at your kid and say, precious child. Not a... Not a a belittling term, not a looking down upon term, but a term where a father is speaking just him. There's nobody else around. These two are having conversation. And he says to him, can you see him? My precious child. You see it? And so in the midst of all that he had done and all of his misgivings and his misunderstanding of the father as one who's only a slave master, only a taskmaster, only a lawgiver. Never valuing the father's presence, only trying to follow the rules in order that he can get something in return. He's missed the whole relationship that he could have with the father. He's disregarded it and traded it for self-righteousness. And yet the father still calls him, y'all help me, child, child. Come on, you don't have to stay in this miserable hog pen of your self-righteousness. Uh-oh. You see, let me make a statement to you if I could tonight. Sometimes the filthiest hog pens are not the pig pen of a far off country. Instead, they're the miry clay and the putridness of our own self-righteousness. The most horrific, I believe, the most filthy hog pen is the one that's our own self-righteous behavior. And it's why many lost folk have come into many church around the world and left out the same door quickly Because rather than being met with celebratory spirits, they were met with self-righteous, long looks, looking down upon, judgmental scowls. And I want you to understand, in the midst of that, uh, God is not honored. So he says to him, son, I love it, child, I love that. Soon as the son of yours, he says in verse 31, and he said to him, son, you're always with me. Can you hear the father saying, am I not enough for you? Like, I've been with you the whole time, and, there's, and you still want more. Uh-oh, it's the same thing that the prodigal did. I've been with you always, and you want more. Remember where this all started? The younger son wanted the, the fatted calf. He wanted the, the money. He wanted, the, he wanted the, what was coming to him. Now we find the older brother in the very same position. He said, you, you've had me all along, so obviously I'm not what you wanted. You wanted the goat to go have a party with your friends. You wanted what was coming to you so that you could go and do whatever you wanted to do. And here's what the father said. What I have is already yours. You could have already done that. And the point he's making is that your heart is still in misery because you're approaching God through merit and you have no relationship with the father if you think you have it through doing the right thing. 
It's just as miserable as if you were in a far off country in the middle of a pig pen of egregious, gross sin, outward sin. And so we find here a very empty place that the, the older brother is. He had the father's presence, yet he yearned for more because there was no love relationship. Let me ask you something. Do you ever find yourself there? Are you absent of that love relationship and it's more about doing the right thing and earning the favor of God? You see, in self-righteousness, the satisfaction of the earned benefit promotes the value of myself over the value of God. If in my life, the chief treasure is not me spending time in His presence, something's off. Something's off. So, I want to ask a question tonight. Here it is. How can I know if there is a Pharisee in me? Y'all ready to take the test? Oh boy, I like that look right there. Not going to pass out a sheet. We're just going to take it in our seat there internally. That'd be all right? Good. Here we go. How can I know if there is Pharisee guiding me? Okay, here it is. When I see, listen to this, when I see gross sin, I'm talking about the kind of sin that rips families apart, the kind of sin that uh, causes a person to steal from their mom and daddy or, or to, uh, to take advantage of a child. When I, when I see gross sin, am I disgusted by the person committing it or do I find myself in first reaction with compassion? And a deafening hush falls over the crowd. Because all too often... The first feeling we have, we have, me and you, is disgust. And we try and package it up by saying we're disgusted with the sin. But if we'll take a long, deep look, if we'll be ugly honest for a moment, it's actually the person that we're disgusted with. And that, my friend, is the Pharisee. And I'm telling you, as I prepared for this and prayed through this and thought about this, it breaks my heart that sometimes that's the truth of my attitude. When I see things, when, when situations happen, I find it sometimes when the Lord grants me the grace to have compassion, sometimes in circles and discussing uh, within family or with other people about certain situations privately with just the people involved. A lot of the time, people involved will want you to be disgusted at the person. And when you come out with compassion, what I found is a lot of times, people will want to play the part of Pharisee and try to bring you in. And friend, I want to say to you, if your relationship is centered in the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that saved you in spite of you, it ought to keep us in a distance from the attitude of the Pharisee. <clears throat> and we ought to always have compassion knowing that we could do the very same thing, but it not be for the grace of God. So tonight, I want you just to think about that. Some more of this, how can I know if there's a Pharisee in me? When I want people to suffer for what they've done instead of finding grace and forgiveness and blessing. Boy, and honest tonight that a lot of times we're more like the Pharisee than we are like Jesus. Anybody still out there? Am I the only one that's kind of talking about myself? Maybe I'm not even, maybe y'all can't even relate to this. Maybe it's just me that needed to hear this tonight. But my prayer is that we would be a church full of folks who never forget that it was God who found us in the ditch. And we didn't find him. He wasn't lost. He found us. And we didn't go looking for him because in the ditch, we thought it was just life. And this is how things work. And we're the captain of our ship. And he sought us and he bought us and he lifted us out of the miry clay. 
And now we've been redeemed, those of us who have confessed Jesus as Lord. And we ought to live from the vein of gratitude and great grace. Our lives ought never be found looking down upon and ridiculing the actions of another. When were it not for the Lord Jesus Christ, we'd all be destined for a lake of fire. Separated from God for all eternity. See, the older brother only wanted what the father gave. He didn't want the father. That's the same problem the prodigal had in the beginning of the parable. His presence had less value to him than a party with some friends. Well, finally, I want to close with the celebration. Can we do that on a high note? Anybody all right with that? Okay, the celebration. Luke chapter 15, verse number 32. Read with me, if you will. And after he said that to his son, it was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. There's a celebration. You know why? Uh, Because God celebrates, write this down, God celebrates when lost are found. When lost people are found. Are you all tracking with me? When lost people are saved. That's when God celebrates. When do you celebrate? When do you get fired up? When do you shoot firecrackers? When do you get loud? When do you sing? When do you jump? When do you dance? When do you ever have time when you just want to well up and do a backflip? I know maybe you can't like me, but you want to anyway. When? Some of it's when you kill your biggest deer. Some of it's when you catch your biggest fish. Some of it's when you get your biggest promotion. Some of it's when it's we have a new child or grandchild. But in the kingdom of God, every one of us who've been born again, the highest celebration in our life ought to be when lost people are found by God and rescued from the power and penalty of sin. It ought to cause you to lay awake in your bed at night thinking about how you can be a part of God's magnificent plan to reach the whole wide world. It ought to, when you wake up in the morning, first part of your prayer life ought to be, God, as you send me out here this week to, uh, to plumb, uh, to build fences, to teach kids, to doctor on folk, that I would go out here with the intention today of rescuing somebody out of the ditch as you've done me. And then go about the task in a spirit of celebration. Not woe is me. The preacher said I'm supposed to go out here and, oh man, and now I've got to get up and read my, that's not it. That's living by the law. But when you have an authentic relationship with the Father, you'll wake up motivated to do it because He's living inside of you and living outside of you. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. This relationship that Jesus Christ bought for me and for you. Okay? He celebrates. God does. When lost things are found. How do I know that? Well, He illustrated it by a lost sheep coming home to a shepherd. What did He do? Gathered up folks, said, rejoice with me. Let's celebrate. When the lady found her coin, you see her cut the light on, she's sweeping. Don't you know she's frantic? You lose your coin, man. You got a problem, don't you? She's sweeping. And when she finds it, she calls up some folks. Hey, listen, I don't want to celebrate alone. Come celebrate with me because that which was lost has been found. And then the third and final parable. The lost son who was dead in his trespasses and sin had come home to the father in humility and repentance. And he'd been restored to right relationship with the father. And they are having a party. And by the way, never do you find a place where the party ends. It's an ongoing celebration. Isn't that neat? It's an ongoing celebration. And so notice then that we have to ponder for just a moment. What about the older brother? You ever, you ever wonder why? We don't know if he sat on the porch and stayed mad. Or whether or not he accepted the father's invitation as the father came to him in grace and offered him to come in and be in right relationship in the celebration with the father yeah anybody besides me wonder 
I mean, you ever just kind of read through that and say, man, you ever just, you ever just, I guess y'all, some of y'all just take it for what it is. But I sometimes say, man, what happened to that joker? I know a lot of folk who just stayed out there and been mad and just missed the whole doggone thing, right? I can see them putting the, cleaning up the place and putting the garbage and some of us would have been still sitting out there stewing. Here's why it's open-ended. Because that was an attempt by the Lord Jesus Christ not to tell a good story, but to reach those Pharisees who were in his audience. And they were left with an action to take. And so are you. You're left with an action to take. He told the parables because it presents to me and you an action to take. There's something we're supposed to do based on what he's told us. Now you're looking at me and say, well, tell us what it is. Oh, I can't do that. Only the Holy Ghost of God can do that. Let's ask him in prayer. Will you bow your head with me? With heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. I want to say that the altar's open. I believe there's some folk need to just get up out of your chair and come fill this altar up and asking the Father, what am I supposed to do with what I heard? Would anybody be willing, is their brother or sister be willing to get up out of your chair and be a little uncomfortable? Maybe for the first time ever to get up publicly and come down the altar and just spend some time you and Jesus right there on your knees if you can. Some people say sometimes I can't bend down that far. It's really neat because the top of the altar is just high enough where if you're on your knees, you can put all your weight on your elbows there. So we're going to wait just a moment, give you some time. I just believe it's a time you and I ought to come and, and, and just get before the Lord and ask Him, God, how am I supposed to respond with what I've heard? Could it be tonight, could it be that, that I'm becoming a little more like the Pharisee? Because my rescue was a long time ago. Because I've forgotten how desperate I was. But because I've forgotten what it was like to be as drunk as I was, or, or as high as I was, or as mean as I was, or as unforgiving as I was. I've forgotten the most miserable hour of my life. And therefore, I've been coming to church for a while. I hadn't cussed in a while. I hadn't drank in a while. And so I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And because of that, I have lost my gratitude for his rescue. Would you come to the altar? I want to invite those who are out in the congregation to stand to your feet, if you would, to make room, just in case there's somebody on the middle of your row that wants to make their way down. Would you do that? I just believe that there, the altar's about three-quarters full. I just believe with all my heart the Spirit of God is nudging somebody, and I wish you would not reject Him. I don't know who you are, but I feel that heavy on my heart tonight. There's somebody in here, for the first time ever, the Holy Spirit is nudging your heart to go to the altar. You don't understand that because you've never done it before. I'm just begging you, if He's telling you that, just come. Just come. You don't say anything to anybody. Just you and him. I want you to come. Come on, other people are coming. Go ahead, ease your way out to the end of the road and just make your way on down. Something very powerful about humbling yourself and leaving your chair and coming down, meeting at the altar with the king, pouring your heart out to him. Lord, help me not to be a Pharisee. How dare I ever feel self-righteous about where I am because any good thing that's been achieved in my life, he's done it. He's done it. And he did it by the sacrifice of his own son. Every good thing he's ever done in my life, he did it. His word has done it. His spirit has done it. His church has helped to do it. So tonight, maybe you've never invited Jesus Christ to be Lord. Let me tell you, there's no better time than now. As it appears, the end is approaching very, very near. You don't want to find yourself called unaware. If you've been that person who's been waiting for a little while, you know, kind of thinking there's some things you want to get done first, I beg you, I beg you, now is the time and today is the day of salvation. 
Come while the door is open. Come while the Lord Jesus beckons. Come to Jesus tonight. Maybe God's calling you to be a part of this gathering. You've been coming for a while. You've been visiting, whatever that means, for a while. God said, you need to make it official. You're part of this faith family here that meets out here in the middle of nowhere. And if that's you, I invite you to come. Maybe there's been a time in your life, you know for certain, there was a time you invited Jesus to be Lord, but you never followed through in water baptism. It doesn't get you into heaven, but my friend, it's a public proclamation that Jesus said we're supposed to do it. So why don't you come? We'd like to help you get that in order. Just a minute, we're going to lift our voice in song. I pray that whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, you do it. Just at a time of obedience. Whatever He's asking you to do, you do it. There's somebody you need to go pray with. Somebody you need to go sit down beside. Somebody you need to bring down to the altar. I, I don't know. Maybe somebody's already up here that the Spirit is prompting you right now to come up, put your hand on their shoulder and pray for them. Don't hesitate. Don't waste. Don't be prodigal in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. If He's prompting you, you follow. Lord Jesus, I pray your kingdom come and your will be done. Right here in this room, right now, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.